You're listening to a podcast for sinners and sufferers, having conversations about theology, church, and culture for weary souls in need of grace. My name is Cody. And my name is Kyle. Um, I'm a little tired today, and I thought it was because I was hungry. So as we were getting ready to start this thing, I grabbed myself some cinnamon roll protein cheesecake bites. That's, that's a lot of things. <laughs> Some yeah. roll cheesecake protein. Yeah. Um, I'm very disappointed. <laughs> but yeah, okay. What I was saying to you before was like, I thought I think it's a mix of the protein. I don't know what's protein in this. I don't even know. I don't know what the ingredients are. There's a uh, eight grams of protein per cheesecake in these. Mm-hmm. So whether that's protein powder or not, I have no clue. Um, but it's the stevia as well. Cause it's, this is like healthy food prep company. Yeah. Um, and so they don't really, I guess like for a lot of stuff, it's like whenever people try to make healthy versions of things, they use like stevia or like some sugar substitute and it just makes it taste awful. I, it's not bad. It's just like, there's a weird aftertaste that I don't like. Yeah. Sucralose or something. Did you, uh, yeah, whatever. Sli- slightly off topic of where I think you want to go with this, but did you know that if you drink diet pop, especially like diet Coke, and you want to cut, or Coke Zero, I think it works better with, you want to cut that aspartame aftertaste, put a little bit more like of like a citrus, like a lime or a lemon. I don't know how adding more acid to your acidic drink helps, but a little bit of lime or lemon, your Coke Zero cuts that, uh, that aspartame aftertaste, and you kind of just taste like a Coke. Really? Magic. Huh. Yeah. I should try that next time I have the urge to drink Coke Zero, which is never. <laughs> I just like, I don't know. It's same with um, sugar-free syrups for coffee. Awful. Yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah. I get people. It's like, okay, I get that people are trying to like cut back on sugar or whatever, but like, don't torture yourself and get sugar-free syrup instead. It's just not good. Like, I get not everyone likes black coffee, but black coffee tastes better than sugar-free vanilla. Like, it just does. Yeah. Well, but you can get, a, like, a latte has natural sweetness to it. Even, yeah. I don't know what you could put in. I don't know. It's just, like, uh, suffer, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> suffer. It's less suffering. I think people just get it in their head. They're like, I don't like it without syrup, so therefore I must have syrup. And they're like, this tastes disgusting, but it's definitely better than not having the syrup. And it's like, it can't be. It can't be. Yeah, it's the same thing with um, alternative milks. It's like huge trend right now. Mm. Most of them taste awful. Um, (laughs) Oat milk is pretty good, actually. If you get the right oat milk, it's pretty good. Um. I'm not a health expert, so if anyone's mad at me about this, like, sorry, I don't, whatever. It's just my my opinions here. Um, but, like, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of it just isn't necessarily better for you. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, maybe I'm completely ignorant and wrong about that, but... There is someone... So, I no longer work at a Prado Cafe. Uh, people who... who maybe haven't been keeping up or is coming in. I'm moving in a couple weeks. Um, so no longer work at the cafe where I was, but so 
so I don't I can't get fired for this but I was throwing shade at a customer <laughs> because they they ordered what is it like a large latte extra shot uh extra sweet it was like chocolate and vanilla but fat free milk and I was like oh man <laughs> good good thing they got that fat free milk but milk fat isn't even bad for you it's a little bit fewer calories which is what the point would be in drinking skim milk is it's fewer calories but that fat isn't bad for you all that sugar in the syrups is what's bad for you yeah yeah exactly like um i was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about coffee and drinking coffee for enjoyment not for caffeine so moving yeah. away from that narrative of like it's not about just caffeine like i need my fix for the day but like enjoying a cup of coffee kind of like you mm -hmm. do with like wine or you know stuff like that um and he was like people always ask me like how can you drink a coffee after three o'clock doesn't it keep you up and he's like no because i don't put sugar in it <laughs> and he's like and it's like kind of true like uh, if you drink now there's people who like can't drink caffeine like Brittany can't I, I think she tried a, like a, I think it was like an iced latte once and it was caffeinated and she was up like all night, like, cause she doesn't drink coffee. So like it just, you know, but, um, but yeah, a lot of times it's sugar and, but then people go for these alternatives that are like healthy or whatever and just like taste bad. So like, yeah, why don't you just like, I don't know, in my just opinion, I would just like try to cut it out or just have it less like. I don't know. Drink one Coke a day instead of five or like one sugary latte a week. This, I, I, I don't was, know. I was telling someone recently, I was like, uh, you know, the people really freak out about aspartame, but uh, actually the research is showing that it's not that bad for you unless you're drinking like five or six Cokes a day. And this guy's like, Oh, I drink six at least. <laughs> I was like, oh, in that case, don't drink it with aspartame. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Everything, uh, oh, I shouldn't say that. Again, not health expert here, people. But I, be I believe if you have things in moderation, it's fine. Like if you, you know, if you have like a latte a day or a cappuccino a day, you're not going to necessarily feel sick because of milk and it's not going to really affect you that much. You have four lattes large in a day. We might have an issue. You know, as uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for lattes and a time for water. So... All right. Well, today we want to talk about an Instagram post. Wow. Exciting. Our content has gone from a confession from 1689 to an Instagram post in 2022. Really making waves here. <laughs> um, but the, the reason we want to do this is I, um, I follow this guy, a writer in the word, his Instagram. You should check him out. He's interesting. Posts some interesting stuff. Um, he posts like... I, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like he used to post pictures of like books and stuff and give his opinion on books, like really nice pictures, mm. but now he's gone more into like, um, like drawings and, and like his style is kind of like tattoo drawing. Yeah. And, um, he's also a pastor as well. So he kind of mixes his, 
passions there. Um, but I saw this on my timeline. I thought it was really good. Um, and we saw it. It'd be a good topic to to talk about actually on the podcast because it's something that we've talked about a lot amongst ourselves. And so he's basically what the post was is we'll put it up on the screen for anyone on YouTube. If not, go to a writer in the word and you can find it. Um, but he's um, speaking out in response to um, a report that came out. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on anything here, Cody, but a, a report that came out that spoke of um, just a massive number of abuses in the Southern Baptist Convention um, and not only abuses, but also cover ups of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did a huge investigation finally after, you know, churches have been asking for it for quite a while. They did one and a lot of stuff came to light in that. I didn't read the whole thing. Um, I just, I got the gist of it and, um, you know, it's a huge document that they came out with and just to put it plainly, it's, um, detailing the crazy amount of, um, abuse that went on in Southern Baptist convention in different churches and stuff. Southern Baptist convention, if you don't know, is a denomination, huge denomination in the States. The largest one, I think in the world at least in North America. Yeah. It's the largest Protestant for sure. The Catholic church has more members supposedly, but I mean, there's also like there's debates within SBC of like, are they counting active members and, but whatever, like most mega churches in the U S that like you're aware of, like at one point were SBC. Yeah. Yeah. So, and even churches that you wouldn't think were Baptist are, and they're in the SVC for some reason. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting time. I, as I said many times on the podcast, I have followed a lot of people on Twitter, and most of them were because of uh, SBC. Um, but anyways, um, no. we're uh, just, yeah, to put it out there, we're not part of the SBC. Um, mm-hmm. Which is why we haven't talked about any of it, because it's yeah. not really our... I don't know. It's not our kitchen. I don't know what what is it. What's the term there? Like we're not wheelhouse. Not our camp. Whatever. Yeah. 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 And so um, the reason we want to talk about it is we don't know enough about the situations to really talk about like what went on as far as the abuse cases and everything. Obviously, it's devastating and just absolutely horrible to see this even more come to light. Um, but a big thing kind of surrounding this that this guy right in the word uh wrote about is this idea of loyalty and toxic church culture in that mm-hmm. so basically loyalty without question within the church and we find this is something that was um a cause for what happened in the southern baptist convention in this but also just churches at large and it's something that we're really i think passionate about as well so um did you want to read the what he said or yeah i'll just read so this is just his uh his description or whatever on this art that that he shared um but he says a big red flag of toxic church cultures is the demand for loyalty loyalty and in and of itself is a positive virtue but oftentimes a culture will demand loyalty when it's not initially given when it's not inherently earned and often as a front to injustice or lack of vision The power of a spiritual authority is that people will follow and engage, believe the best, and give loyalty when it's demanded without thinking twice. 
we can create a whatever it takes culture where service and loyalty are touted touted toted as at the expense of mental health and physical burnout or even covering injustice why do people defend men in authority even after the evidence falls why do we defend brands even after we've seen the carnage behind the bus how does a list of spc abuse cases reach almost 700 cases before being brought to light in one sense, we should be motivated to do whatever it takes not to build the kingdoms of this world, but to build the kingdom of God and to let justice roll like a river. Healthy churches don't demand loyalty. They inspire action. And we like, we like that. <laughs> we, we, we think it's good. <laughs> yeah. Smart guy. Uh, Jacob is his name, whoever he is. I, I now also follow him since I saw you share oh, nice. that. And yeah well said and uh i think we're, we're kind of like we said we're not spc we don't know much about these specific stories but what struck us um and like we talk about the church a lot and ultimately like like if you're here because you're here for church bashing like that's not what we're about we are we are pro-church um we love jesus we think the church is his plan we've said that in a lot of other episodes but we do think we need to talk about these toxic cultures because it, it's something that we we see in a lot of contexts so like that he also mentioned like brands and stuff because i've seen it in employers i've worked for like a lot of big companies like even working for under armor and i hear nike is even worse where there's almost like brainwashing sessions where they're like nike is the only shoe nike is the best shoe if you wear another shoe you betray the nike like that sort of thing and yeah. churches can fall into the same camp and we've experienced this in, in different ways on different levels and uh, i was telling you before we started recording i think in churches they they often will use the word unity they'll kind of like weaponize this word to try and over spiritualize it like when they're talking about loyalty blind loyalty or this like kind of affiliation they'll, they'll talk about unity they're like this is a threat to unity aren't you committed to unity the unity is important and then it feels more spiritual and it feels like something you can't speak against because that's like an like an ultimate kind of shut you down as if they're like well don't you think what you're saying is a threat to unity it's like oh no i don't want to be a threat to unity it's sort of like weaponized in that way but yeah yeah um that's the thing toxic Cultures demand loyalty. We're at the very end of um, this post. He says, healthy churches don't demand loyalty. Like if you're a healthy church, you tend to invite people to actually speak about like, hey, we're doing this thing at church. I don't think we're really in line with what the Bible is saying. And a healthy church will be able to take that and look at that and actually adjust if they find that that's mm. actually true. They'll actually take it on where toxic church cultures will do exactly what you said they'll they'll just say well you're trying to you're being very divisive with this like and you're bringing all these charges against our church and often it's from well-meaning people and they just get gaslighted can we say they we just get gaslighted a lot yeah. of times um in the name of unity and spiritualizing it and we've seen it ourselves for sure um, churches we've worked for, churches we've been a part of, churches we've, um, you know, seen as well in our communities or um, from friends and stuff. It's it is a huge issue 
where we where churches tend to demand loyalty without question and you just need to follow what the church is doing and what the pastor is doing and if what you think is going on there is wrong then maybe you should just leave mm. yeah this is something that like I experienced a lot and as I, I thought about this and I kind of read what his statements I realized that I think it's worth pointing it out in these other contexts because I, I worked in a church where I said you know I think we're we're seeing biblical drift in this way and it was sort of like a, how dare you speak against the church how dare you speak against this body how and it was coming from kind of all angles and it became very like villainized for being the person who who spoke out and and it, i mean it's like yeah gaslighting totally i had people sit me down and be like you know someday when you're not immature you'll realize that you're wrong and it's sort of mm -hmm. this like like they say we just want unity we just want unity but what they mean is they want conformity they want everyone to fall in line and like what i experienced is by by no means the same as like sexual abuses that are happening i don't want to say like oh yeah totally I've, I've been through the same not not the same at all but this is a cult a similar culture you know people who you know saying like you'll, you'll think of think of the unity think of like um what it'll do to the church if you say this like like just keep it to yourself is is so similar to you know Think of how many people will lose their faith if this comes to light or like the, if the if this church goes down because you you bring these things to the media or to the government or whatever, like the, the kingdom goes with it. These sort of like spiritual manipulation and, and gaslighting, it's not far to go from that with, you know, people bringing up biblical concerns and those sorts of things and the way that's handled to like much more, well, much more traumatic i guess much more harmful to individual cases like what we're seeing in in the sbc report here yeah it's also i think there's been a um kind of a narrative almost that this is just conservative churches that do this mm. and what we've seen personally i think is fairly obvious is this is not just a conservative thing this is like churches on all spectrums using spiritualizing language and um, say spiritual power or whatever to have people just follow along, don't rock the boat and just mm -hmm. kind of sit down and listen. Um, and again, it's not just even like these big churches that we've seen. I, I remember when the, I think it was the Ravi Zacharias um, report came out. One of the things that uh, he reportedly was saying is like, "Hey, I'm a you know, I'm I've got a big ministry and I'm a pretty big deal. If anything about this comes out, a lot of pe a lot of people are going to lose their faith." Um, it, you hear that with so many different situations, and it's not um, conservative churches, it's not liberal churches, it's all like all different churches, um, and. I think we often put too much, um, how do I say this? We can often overvalue our own importance in this whole mm -hmm. thing and the importance of who we are. We make ourselves out to be more important, I guess is the, the right way to put it. 
Um, and we create this culture where a lot of times it's, it tends to be the pastor. Um, mm. the pastor is like, you can't come at him and you, and you don't, you don't touch him. Um, because you know, if you question something that the pastor is doing or the pastor is preaching, um, and you know, that gets out, you spread it or, you know, you make a big issue of it. A lot of people aren't going to trust the pastor as much anymore. And then our ministry is not going to be able to flourish. And if our ministry doesn't flourish, then people aren't going to get saved. And you're the cause of that. So, you know, you probably don't want to go do that. So it'd be better off if you just kind of left. Mm-hmm. Or you can stay and be quiet and go along with it. And kind of, it often comes across as this, like, figure, figure out your issues. Yeah. You can kind of sit back figure out your issues and let us keep doing what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not a biblical way to be approaching church. It's not a biblical way to deal with people who come with questions too. I think one of our hearts in even doing a podcast like this in a very small way that we're able to do it is to say, we can actually question things that happen mm-hmm. in the church while still holding on to, um, you know, we believe we haven't deconstructed yeah. We believe that Jesus is the way we believe he is the only means of salvation. But a lot of times as uh, humans and as churches, we've got it like so wrong and completely wrong. And we don't at the same time sit here and say we have it all figured out. And here's our our blueprint as to how the church should should operate and how people should go about their faith. Um, but we want to be able to speak out about this. And we think it's important for people to do that as well. Um, not to come out with, you know, all these like articles and stuff being like, this is my experience in the conservative church I was a part of as a kid mm. and it should be abolished forever. Yeah. But to say, okay, here's the issues that have come up and we need to deal with this. Yeah. A lot of, our heart in this is helping people understand deeply like what they believe. And if you totally agree with us, awesome. If our points make you somehow become firmer in your disagreement with us, as long as you're firm in what you believe, because yeah, Kyle and I have both gone through church hurt. We've gone through some really messy experiences. We've been in like really unhealthy cultures, yet we still hold firm to our faith. We didn't like you know throw out the baby with the bathwater kind of thing like we can deconstruct what was bad and still hold on to what is true and i think there's even an example of of having you know having a theological basis and one of the reasons why we talk about theology is that it helps you process it like it like experiential theology helps you process what you're experiencing what's going on in real life um because like i always use the example of like if someone comes to you and their child has just died and you have no theological basis of like God's sovereignty, the effects of sin on the world and the fall and those sorts of things, then there's not a lot you can say. You can give like kind of vague platitudes, but if they understand, if you've already established what it means for God to be sovereign, what it means for the fall, for sin to have reigned in our lives, for us to be experiencing the consequence of that, then you can say things like, I'm so sorry that happened. And like, you could just be genuine and you don't have to be like, Oh, well, God's in control or like, Oh, God's not in control or whatever. Like you, you have the theological basis. And I think in this situation where we're saying we super over evaluate 
our own importance as individuals or as individual churches and ministries. Like we believe theologically that, that God's going to call the people he's going to call that if we're willing to be the, the means, the, the secondary cause is the theological term. If we're willing to be that secondary cause that he uses to bring people to him, he'll use us. If we're just going to be so busy building our own platform and making ourselves look pretty and building a brand and blowing up our YouTube channel and whatever else that we're not actually preaching the gospel, he'll find another way to do it. He'll find a, an, another way to, to reach his sheep, to call them to him. Um, oh, there's a scripture I was just thinking of. I thought I had it in my notes, but I can't find it. No. I'll take it away. Okay. Well, yeah, as you're talking, I think it's, um, yeah, to kind of close this section of it off, like anytime someone becomes unquestionable or you're not able to kind of expand your horizons in a sense and look into things even, look into different theological points or ask questions or anything, anytime that something becomes unquestionable, you're starting to create a culture where spiritual abuse can happen. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the verses you did have in our notes is Galatians 2.11, um, which showed that not even the Apostle Peter was unquestionable. Um, Paul in Galatians 2.11 said, but when Cephas, which is another name for Paul, or Peter, um, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Because Paul looked at the teachings of Peter and what he was telling people to do and said, that's not what the gospel is. And so even though Peter was, you know, an apostle before Paul and some would view Peter as like, that's the top dog right there. um, Paul went to him and was like, Hey, what you're doing. That's like, that's not the message that we're, that we're teaching. That's not the message we've been sent with. And he opposed him Mm. um, because Peter was afraid of being judged by the Jews because he was hanging out with Gentiles. So Paul went up to him, he challenged him. Presumably Peter took that, you know, yeah. and uh, continued on in his ministry. Well, it's, it's after that, that we see Peter commending Paul and calling Paul's writing scripture. So like mm-hmm. clearly they maintained unity through being challenged and through calling calling out a leader on what, what they're doing wrong, if, like being a coward, like fearing the judgment of man instead of being faithful to what God had called him to do, which was to reach the Gentiles. Like, yeah. um, yeah, one sort of, uh, one of our f- next points that we wanted to talk about is this, this protect the brand culture. And I think that's what it gets into. Again, we, we, we tend to associate, our viewership numbers, our church attendance numbers, you know, the giving, whatever it is with like kingdom work. Like this is equal to kingdom work. We connect our our brand reputation so closely to Jesus reputation that we think like if we become shamed or if our our reputation's marred in any ways that somehow that is going to mar Jesus reputation. And there's a, a Spurgeon quote that I've had like just written in a notebook for years where he says that, so I don't know where it comes from is what I'm saying there is uh, he says the gospel is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of its cage. Like 
trying to protect ourselves and avoid accountability and be dishonest about ourselves, claiming that we're protecting the gospel or protecting God is absolutely nonsense. It's absolutely ridiculous. He doesn't need our defense. We just need to get out of the way and let him do his work. I think, though, there is a sense in which our reputation is important, but there's an individual responsibility to that. So, like, when a pastor is found out to have some sort of scandal or a church is found to be doing some stuff that's not not right, um, whatever case that is, that gives them a bad witness to the community, it does affect Jesus' relation, Jesus' reputation in the mind of those people. Mm. And that's specifically why we should start calling this stuff out and why we should be able to call this stuff out. Because if we allow that to happen for so long, um, then we're not furthering the gospel as much as you want to believe concealing this kind of stuff does. Um, we're actually hurting the witness of the gospel. That, and so... Go ahead. That, that's fair. I was just, yeah, you just... There, you kind of corrected me. Like, that's a bit the nuance that, yeah, like, Scripture does say that uh, an elder should be well thought of by all people. But that's not... Mm-hmm because we hide because we're lying about who they are it's because they're actually stand-up individuals which is why if they're not stand-up individuals they should be removed from eldership yeah but your point is correct as well that jesus um you know the bible talks about it being like a refining fire and that what jesus will do is um says it in revelation the first few chapters of revelation that if if you're not being an active witness of me and the gospel in your community and being a good representation of who I am and doing the work that the church is supposed to do, I will snuff you out is what he says. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this kind of what what your, what your point was, was also fair though. Right. Because Mm -hmm. if, sorry, I have something in my throat again. Um, if it's all about just protect the brand at all costs, that's that's totally wrong. But at the same time, Jesus can fulfill his work no matter who's involved because he, mm-hmm. he, he will do it. And that's what, that's what you were getting at there, right? Yeah. So it's Jesus will be able to fulfill his work. His gospel will go forth despite us. At the same time, we have that responsibility to be a witness to people. Yeah. So we, yeah, I wanted to, to kind of we'll jump around in our notes a little bit maybe, but whenever we talk about like, oh, what the value is the gospel, we need to be gospel centered people. I always want feel like we need to stop and say, what is the gospel? And so mm-hmm. I'll say, and this is, there's like a thousand ways you can summarize it because there's so many lenses and aspects to the gospel. But I'll say the, the, the gospel that we should be known for as a church is a message that God provided redemption from our curse of sin through his son, Jesus, who died to pay the consequence and rose again to stand as our mediator. That's the the message that we should be motivated by. That should be our, our driving factor. That should be the thing that when people look at our body, they go, oh yeah, it's those guys always talking about how Jesus provided redemption for our sin and now stands as our mediator. But I think we get caught up and instead wanting people to go, oh, that church is so nice. 
that leader is so cool. That leader is just, he's always like making me feel good about myself. He's always so true. He always has time for me. And like, that can be a good thing as a leader too, but that's not what we need to be known for. What we need to be known for is that gospel message. And I think that actually, yeah, that transitions perfectly into the point where he talked about how this like demand for loyalty will, will compensate or be to try and cover up for a lack of vision. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot with just work and, and like working in, in like sales and stuff where like anywhere where you have employees, especially minimum wage employees, like if you don't have a vision, you're not casting a vision. What do you like? You can't expect minimum wage employees or in a church context, volunteers to be willing to to give their all to, to sacrifice for nothing. Like if you have a compelling vision, if you have a compelling like gospel message, if your vision is, I mean, and, you know, Jesus gives us the vision. Like Jesus says, go make disciples of all people, teaching them to obey. Like that's our vision to see all people made disciples, uh, introduced to Jesus, brought into fellowship with him, taught to obey. Uh, but if we're not casting this compelling vision, then we can't expect people to follow. And that's when you have people resorting to like, uh, protect the brand. Like, aren't you, why are you being disloyal? Consider unity, whatever else. And, and that's really like in, in the corporate world, casting vision is what makes leaders in the church world, communicating Christ vision, reiterating that vision and pushing that vision forward is what makes Christian leaders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think um, we often, when when we're trying to lead people, it, it can be hard to hear when someone doesn't fully agree with what you're doing. I think that's often where it's almost like this insecurity that we have. But if your um, your vision casting is what Jesus is casting of, go make disciples and build the kingdom. Um, then there's nothing that you need to be worried about, you know, like that's cause that's what, that's what Jesus told us to do. But often it's a vision that we've come up with or a, a specific culture that we want to see in our church that kind of can start to drift away from what Jesus's vision is. And so when people come up against it, it's like they're coming up against us. Um, and in those moments we have to be humble and, and, look inward and look at the scriptures and look at what Jesus says and be like, okay, is this what he wants? And are we doing what he asked us to fulfill? Um, and it all comes back to allowing those questions to come and being able to actually like take that kind of criticism um, mm. and be corrected in that as well. Yeah. In, in Jacob's uh, description, it's funny. We're basically expositing a, a, a Instagram post here, but I think it's, he makes good points and we can, we can build off of that. But he says, people follow, engage and believe the best of spiritual authorities and loyalty when it's demanded. And this, this is so absolutely true. And, and mm -hmm. that's why, um, and I think we've said it before that like character trumps charisma, like character over charisma all day. Charisma is for building yourself up for building your influence Charisma is is great for for building a brand, but it's also for one, it's not the same as casting vision. Because 
charisma, you're buying into an individual. You're not buying into the kingdom when you have a charismatic leader. Uh, you know, a charismatic leader might make you feel good, but that's, that's not the same as being inspired by a vision. And that's why we believe we should be elevating preachers and leaders who are bought into Christ's vision, who can communicate that vision. People who have high character and yes, have competency, usually brought about by the Holy Spirit, character and competency over charisma all day. Like charisma doesn't cover up for a lack of either of those things. Yeah. And I think that's where like churches and, and leaders and pastors have to be aware of that as well. Um, they have to be aware that people, what Jacob says, they will follow you. They will engage. They'll believe the best of you because you're a spiritual authority in their life. Um, because they want to grow in their faith, because they want to grow in their relationship with Jesus, they'll look to someone who has spiritual authority and think the best of them naturally. And so we have to be aware of that. And, um, and churches have to be aware of that as well, because it's so easy to just gain loyalty from people. And that can easily go to our heads and just expect this loyalty, this unquestioned loyalty from people. Um, and over time that can just kind of fester in you and you may not even realize it. And then the moment someone comes to you and like is not giving you that loyalty that you've been expecting having for so long, it can really hit you. And that's where a lot of times these, uh, the, these unfortunate situations can happen and all this kind of spiritual damage can happen as well. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with the, this last point. And I think this, this ties directly in is that our only unquestionable authority is scripture. This is a, a key point of the reformation sola scripture that scripture is the, is the primary authority over all things. Cause we saw the Catholic church at that time was abusing their spiritual authority. They were making bank off of people, telling people they could buy their way to salvation and just ridiculous things. So when the Protestant Reformation happened, one of their key points was that scripture is our only unquestionable authority. And in the day-to-day, -day, that what that will look like is we, we will have disagreements over handling and understanding of scripture. But ultimately, what we're trying to come to is the right interpretation, the right understanding of scripture, and then the right application of that so we can submit to it fully. So, and this is something that, you know, when I was butting heads with people as a church leader, I'm like, if you can make a scriptural case against me, I'll listen to you. But scripture is our authority. Scripture is what we're appealing to. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine just pointed out, recently that in, in John 17, Jesus is praying for unity, that we'd all be unified, but he's praying that we'd be unified in truth and what is true, not just unified for the sake of getting along, but unified around what is real, what is true, what, who Jesus is, who's he, he's revealed himself to be, what he's accomplished, what he's said in his word. That's what we're unified around. Yeah, that's why I think we always come back to that and put such an importance on um, the Bible and theology and understanding because theology is basically just understanding what the Bible says. That's, yep. that's really all it is. And we can come to different um, viewpoints on it and everything. That's totally fine. You can still be unified in that. Like you can still be unified and have different perspectives on things. Um, but what keeps us from this 
um, toxic loyalty in churches and spiritual abuse is Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the scriptures that he's given us to, to teach us as well. Yeah. Yes, one, one closing kind of tweetable thought there is that you can believe someone is wrong without believing they're dumb. When it comes to these scriptural disagreements, like, I mean, Colin and I have both gone through changes uh, of stances in our Christian lives where we were adamant in one thing. And then through research and mentorship and reading the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit, we came around to a different belief. And it's not that previous me was dumb, but previous me was wrong. And everyone I talk to that I disagree with, I will believe you're wrong until unless you can convince me otherwise, but that doesn't mean I believe you're dumb. And that's how we have humility in disagreements by acknowledging each other's intelligence and value while also being able to disagree on things. But I'll just wrap us up since I'm not leaving you with the outro. because I, okay. I know you don't like sure. that, but, but yeah, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you being here, especially if this, if you're new, um, I know when we do these episodes, we get some, sort of a different audience sometimes. So just let you know, we normally talk about theology, we talk about culture, we talk about church. Um, if we in, we love to talk with you, to actually hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, snide remarks, leave an Instagram message, comment on a reel, leave a YouTube comment that helps bump the video up, or you can join. We have a Discord which is an online community where we can actually have conversations and some back and forth and you can chat with other people who listen. You can watch uh, Brandon point out how we're wrong on things sometimes and then we have to humbly admit and it's it's a good time. Um, if you want to support us. Or just us, fight him on it. Yeah, or a fight. I always, if anyone ever disagrees with me, I always make a counter argument and it's not that. I hate you, so please don't be shy if I argue with you. I love it. I think that's what I say. Iron sharpens iron. I think that's part of it. Um, but yeah, if you want to support us, best thing you can do for us is share the podcast with people you think might appreciate it. You can hit like or rate it five stars on whichever app or platform you're on. Uh, writing out an actual review on Apple Podcasts, I know, goes a long way. We also have merch that... I think is cool. If you don't think it's cool, let me know and I'll try to make it more cool because I just want to have mm. cool t-shirts. <laughs> like I'm basically making it so I can buy it myself, but you can also buy it if you'd like. 